It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Molka Sports. Find them online at malkasports.com. No guests this week. Griggs and I are going to discuss several topics that we've been wanting to talk about. We've had a lot of great guests on recently. If you've missed our interviews with Bob Costas, Sue Bird, Kirk Herbstreet, Stephanie McMahon, just in the last uh, couple months, I invite you to go into the Sports Business Radio vault, sportsbusinessradio.com. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. We love when you rate and review our show. So if you enjoy our podcast, take a few seconds, rate and review us and we'd really appreciate it. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good, and uh, I was just looking at your list and the ones you were just mentioning. I mean, go back and listen to that Bob Costas. I just listened to it again a second time because it's just so good, and Kirk, Herb Street is money, Sue Bird, man, I tell you, there is just a laundry list of great guests we've had, and it's fun just to go back and listen to some of them for sure. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, I think our listeners can learn a lot from each one, and I love how we get to know a different side of the guests that come on this show. So definitely take some time and Go back into the archives and uh, listen to those shows. We've also done some vault shows recently. Uh, Last week was the Baseball Hall of Fame with Derek Jeter and Larry Walker and others. So um, on our show, we replayed interviews with Ken Griffey Jr., John Smoltz, and CeCe Sabathia, who I expect to be in the Hall of Fame soon. CeCe, Ken, and uh, John are already there. And then we replayed interviews with Jeannie Buss and with Chris Everett and with Candace Parker. So um, good stuff. 
And again, uh, if you're in the classroom, if you're a teacher, use our podcast as a tool in your classroom. We have a lot of sports MBA programs that use our podcast as a teaching tool in the classroom. And uh, we've gotten great feedback on that over the years. All right, Griggs, let's dig into some topics. Like you were saying, uh, the start of college football season, the start of the NFL season, this was the first weekend really since March of 2020, Griggs, where I felt like it's back. Like everything's back. You're seeing full stadiums. Things just seem back to normal. Did you get that sense? Oh, 100%. It was like just you sat down on the couch on Saturday morning and turned on college football and there was just crowds and, you know, college game day with the signs and everything. And it was just like, you're right. It felt quote, normal. And I think we're getting there. We're heading there. It's a good sign. And uh, it was great to see just the camaraderie and the colors and the fans. And uh, I loved it. Did you watch, I'm sure, the Oregon-Ohio State game? So Griggs and I are based in Oregon. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm an Oregon Ducks fan, but it's nice to see when the Pac-12 and the teams out this way do well. And you had UCLA beating LSU uh, last week. And then Oregon goes into Ohio State and, and beats Ohio State. First time they'd beaten... Ohio State. So uh, that's a huge win for the Pac-12 and for Oregon. Yeah, you know, it was so fun to get up at 9 a.m., have a little breakfast and turn on my Oregon Ducks. I mean, that's like a first in a lifetime. We're usually playing at 730 at night. So I was loving the nine o'clock kickoff. And uh, yeah, so fun. All right. So even though things have returned to relative normal, there's still schools that are announcing that there's proof of vaccination requirements uh, with fans at the game. So LSU... Oregon, Oregon State, and Tulane require proof of vaccination for home openers and for their games. And then LSU is going to allow unvaccinated fans if the option of showing a negative COVID-19 test from the previous 72 hours is presented. So um, things are pretty normal, but this is, again, what we talked about earlier this year and even late last year. Things are based on geography and things are based on, you know, where COVID seems to be most uh, prevalent. And you've got some parts of the country that are doing things like this. They require proof of vaccination. And then there's other parts of the country where it's like COVID doesn't even exist anymore. So it's interesting to see, Griggs, two things. One, how are the players and coaches being treated as far as COVID is concerned, vaccinated and unvaccinated? And we'll get to that more in a minute with the NFL and the NBA. But then how are the fans treated? Are they allowed to just come in and there's no mask requirement, no proof of vaccination, or do they have to provide those things? So it's really interesting to see based on geography what's going on. Well, yeah, and we've talked about this you know, every week, how literally every single show we do, there's a whole list of different you know, companies or sports entities changing their COVID policies. So it's a, it's an ongoing process. And like you said, it's, you know, state to state, it's different. Some of these games this weekend, you didn't see a fan in sight with a mask on. And then you saw half the games where, you know, half the stands had masks on. So it's very changing. And geography is what's driving it because it's state to state and arena to arena. It's crazy. So in the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the New Orleans Saints are the three teams that have announced the requirement for proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours to attend home games. So um, here's the other, other NFL COVID restriction. So this is vaccinated players versus unvaccinated players. So vaccinated players will not be required to submit to daily COVID-19 testing. If you're unvaccinated, you have to be tested daily. 
Vaccinated players will not be required to wear masks at team facilities or during travel. If you don't have a vaccination, you have to wear a mask at the facility and while traveling. Vaccinated players will not need to quarantine after being exposed to COVID-19. That's a big one. Unvaccinated players will need to self-quarantine following exposure. Vaccinated NFL players, no travel restrictions or limits on movement. Unvaccinated players will remain under the same travel restrictions as the 2020 season. Um, As far as the weight room and the cafeteria, if you're vaccinated, you can move freely about the facility. If you're unvaccinated, you have to be in the weight room when there's only 15 individuals or fewer in the weight room, and you must socially distance during meals. You're not allowed to eat with your teammates. If you're vaccinated, no limits on social media marketing or promotional opportunities. You know, steam rooms and eating with family members at home versus you have to stay in your hotel room if you're unvaccinated. What we've seen with the NFL and the NBA is they've made it very difficult for the unvaccinated players in order to get them to get vaccinated. So, you know, they're not saying, okay, you absolutely have to get vaccinated in order to be on this team or in order to play. But if you aren't vaccinated, the restrictions are pretty heavy. Yeah. I mean, that's a big extensive list. And I think like you mentioned that third one, um, having to not have to quarantine if you've been exposed, if you're vaccinated, I mean, that's huge because you're not missing playing time where an unvaccinated guy is going to miss a week or two of playing time. So I think that's the big one right there. That's going to push these guys possibly to getting that shot. But man, that's, that's an extensive list. I mean, there's a lot going on there and there's a lot of difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated for sure. Brian Windhorst of ESPN, uh, reported here's some of the NBA requirements. So um, unvaccinated players will have lockers as far away as possible from vaccinated teammates and will be separated from their teammates during team meals and on flights or team buses. So, you know, again, there's this segregation that takes place between the NFL and NBA players who are vaccinated and the ones who are unvaccinated. So it seems like you know, we're getting into that 85, 90% range for most teams. I think it was reported that the NBA average is 90% vaccination rate per NBA team for the players and the coaches. So most players and coaches are vaccinated, but there are still those few that aren't, and they have these restrictions. Yeah. And I think like with the NBA starting in another, you know, month and a half, I think they will be 95%, I bet by tip off come November. But you know, I mean, obviously these these big teams are, are pushing for the vaccination to keep people safe. And um, I think you're just going to continue to see these changes and more rules coming in until it's 100%. All right. Some other things that have been taking place this past weekend, 20-year anniversary of 9-11, saw so many poignant tributes, especially on the NFL coverage yesterday. Um, gosh, I can't believe it's been 20 years. You know, again, my heart goes out to the families and friends and loved ones of those who lost people on 9-11. Griggs, I've said on the show before, one of the big reasons that uh, I took Sports PR Summit back in 2013 to New York is I remember after 9-11, you know, everyone said, if you want to support New York City, one of the ways you can do it is by showing you're not afraid to go there and showing that you'll contribute to their economy. So I really wanted to do something to try and support New York and thus the Sports PR Summit was born. It's not the only reason it was born, but I wanted to have it in New York for the reasons I just described. And you and I and uh, Cam Sandage, 
Brad Kinzer, we've been to New York often in the last 20 years, and we've been to the 9-11 Memorial and to the museum and, uh, you know, just powerful images this past weekend. But I thought the NFL, I thought Major League Baseball with the Mets-Yankees game, I thought college football, um, everyone did a really nice job with the tributes. And, you know, I just saw some poignant vignettes and tributes from the broadcasters. And, and I thought it was a well-done weekend overall. I thought it had the right tone and, and tenor to honor, you know, the victims from 20 years ago. Yeah, I agree 100%. I thought there was some great tributes. I like how most of the broadcast started with it. Like, this is the most important thing we need to deal with and talk about before there's a game. So I thought that was cool. I loved how some of the fields had, uh, you know, the Twin Towers painted in or mowed into the grass. I thought uh, just some great things. Awesome flyovers. Um, like you mentioned, I think MLB did a great thing having the uh, Yankees and Mets in uh, New York. I mean, just all over the board. I think it was wonderful. Uh, good tributes to 20 years. It's incredible how long it's been. I can't believe it's been 20 years. I liked with the Mets-Yankees game how they had Joe Torre and Bobby Valentine throughout the first pitches. They were the managers of mm -hmm. those teams in, in 2001, and I thought that was a nice moment as well. But yeah, it just an emotional weekend. And you know, so many things with the start of the football season, how are people handling COVID? And then you mix in you know, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, and you know, it was a lot. I, I don't usually sit around my TV all weekend, but I did spend a lot of time watching the coverage this weekend just because I wanted to be able to talk about it during this conversation. And also, you know, it's interesting to see, like we said, this, this felt to me like the first weekend back in full activity since the pandemic started. And it felt good. And you almost forgot, like, okay, you know, things seem to be returning to normal. I even went to a high school football game uh, on Friday. So I, you know, I saw some Friday night lights and, you know, people were wearing masks there. Again, I'm in Oregon, but it was good to see the players back out on the field. My daughter's on the dance team. So it was nice to see her amongst her friends again. So um, it's good to see this activity. And I just hope we keep moving in the right direction. 100%. And, uh, you know, we both have kids, you and I, and I have a freshman in high school, and it's refreshing to have kids back in school, at least here in Oregon, because we've been pushing it off until now. So it's just, uh, you can tell the kids need it, you know, and I, I went to a football game too, a high school football game this over the weekend, and it's just so fun seeing the dance team and the kids and the cheerleaders, and it's just, it feels right, it feels normal, refreshing, and uh, it's just, a, it's a good place to be. I'm glad we're moving forward. Yeah, I mean, if you go back into our archives a few months ago and listen to Arnie Duncan, the former U.S. Secretary of Education, he talks about the importance of kids returning to school and being in brick and mortar buildings and how challenging it's been uh, learning from distance. So I totally agree. I think it's great that the kids are back in school. I hope that continues. I think it's vital to their mental health and their socialization that they are back in school. So again, it's good to see things trending in the right direction. Griggs, Jacksonville State goes in to Florida State, beats them, and then a Florida State player, as the Jacksonville State players are celebrating maybe the biggest win in their program history on the field, a Florida State player kneels down and proposes to his girlfriend. It's one of the craziest things I've seen. Like, you just got upset at home, 
and you paid $400,000 to Jacksonville State to come beat you at home. Not that player, but Florida State did. And then you proposed to your girlfriend. We talk about being tone deaf on this show. I think that's pretty tone deaf. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know, I hope they have a great life and they're married for a long, long time. But come on, dude, like you can't do it in that moment. Like wait for a win or wait for something else. I'm sure he never thought they'd lose to Jacksonville State. But if you see that picture, you're just like, Oh guy, like this is just, if I'm the coach of Florida state, I'm not happy with that moment. No, I think uh, it's something that, you know, if they're still together 20 years from now, it'll be a joke and obviously he'll, he'll get razzed for it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think he's kind of like, I've planned this for so long. I don't care if we lost. I'm proposing no matter what. Yeah. All right. Other college football news, the big 12. So, you know, we've talked on the show when we had Kirk Herbstreet on a few weeks ago, uh, Texas and Oklahoma, it's only a matter of time until they move to the SEC and they leave the Big 12. So everyone's like, well, is the Big 12 going to fold as a conference? Are all those teams going to you know, go to other conferences or are they going to replace Oklahoma and Texas? And what they decided to do is not just replace two teams, Texas and Oklahoma. They said, you know what? We're going to bring in BYU, Cincinnati, University of Central Florida, and University of Houston. So four teams are going to join the Big 12. What are your thoughts on those additions, Griggs? You know, I was watching that BYU-Utah uh, game over the weekend, and that was uh, upset because BYU beat a ranked Utah team, and they were talking about how, what a week for BYU. You know, they're they're up, upgraded and added to the Big 12, and then they upset Utah. So, you know, I think it's a changing world. Obviously, college football is changing every single week, and I think we're going to see more additions to some of these big conferences as we move towards a playoff and everything else that's changing. I, I like it. I like the move. It's it's bringing some of these schools into some more forefront. You're going to see some schools you don't see, and uh, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Well, and here's the, the sports business angle on this for all of our listeners. When you're a conference like the Big 12 and you just lost the Texas and you lost the Oklahoma footprint, now you want to go out and you want to get other media markets. You want to get other footprints because, again, it all comes back to TV money and revenues and all that for these conferences. So if you go get Houston, that's a big city and that's in Texas. If you go get BYU, Salt Lake City is a decent sized city. And, you know, I know they're not in Salt Lake City, but Utah is a decent sized market. Cincinnati is a decent sized market. And then Florida is a huge state. And University of Central Florida is getting bigger and bigger. So um, those are the reasons, you know, they're good teams, they're good programs, but you're also looking at what's the media footprint and media market for these teams when you add them to your conference, Griggs. Yeah, I think uh, Houston's probably the biggie on that one. I mean, anytime you can get Texas uh, in your department, it's a good thing. And also Florida. I mean, you got two big, huge markets there um, that's going to help drive the conference. And, you know, I mean, Houston's been a decent football team, too. Some of these other ones have struggled for a while. But um, again, more exposure, more TV money. They're going to get out there and get more recruits that way, too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hi, it's Brian Berger here. In addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the co-founder of the consulting firm Everything is on the Record. Since 2007, we've been working with CEOs, corporate spokespeople, pro sports team owners, athletic directors, elite athletes, and coaches to help them navigate the tricky media and social media landscape. My business partner is Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. As part of a new partnership with e-learning platform Open Sesame, we are now offering many of our teachings via on-demand courses available on video. Courses include presenting your best self in a video meeting, 
Your personal brand is connected to your employer's brand. Pause before you post, text, and email, and scrubbing your social media. To take any of our insightful video courses on demand, visit opensesame.com and type in the words, everything is on the record in the search. That's opensesame.com. To learn more about how we can provide a customized training session for your organization, visit everythingisontherecord.com. That's everythingisontherecord.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. I thought the Pac-12 was a real big winner this weekend and last weekend. Again, LSU lost to UCLA. So UCLA, you know, Chip Kelly has been recruiting there for the last few years. They haven't really had the success but now they're off to a good start and they beat LSU at home in the Rose Bowl. And then Oregon goes to Ohio State. So Griggs, you're a Duck fan. I said yep. to, to one of my buddies this weekend, throw out the bowl games, throw out the postseason. Is that the biggest regular season win for the Ducks in their history? Yeah, it's got to be way up there. I mean, I can't remember another game in my life of a Duck fan that that is as big as that one. Uh, going into the shoe, first game for the shoe. You know, they're home. They got 100,000 fans that haven't been there for 600 days. I mean, yeah, it's got to be right up there as the biggest game. And it was just a, a fun game. It was just a good battle. And uh, man, I was pumped. Well, I think the only other one that would enter the conversation is, and this was years ago, I don't know what year, but uh, Oregon hosted Michigan, a really good Michigan team uh, at Austin Stadium, and they beat Michigan. And that felt like kind of the turning point for, okay, Oregon might start becoming a, a national power here. Like they're going to be a, a nationally ranked team and in that conversation going forward. But I thought this, I mean, look, Ryan Day, I think had uh, won 23 games in a row or Ohio State had won 23 games in a row. I know Urban Meyer was coaching, dating back to them. But Oklahoma, I think in 2017, was the last team that came into Ohio State and beat Ohio State at Ohio State. And again, it's conference versus conference, too. When you can take down the SEC or you can take down the Big Ten, like UCLA did with LSU and like Oregon did with Ohio State, those are enormous wins for your conference. It's it's much bigger than just the school. So, um, you know, I thought... If you're looking at the start to the college football season, the narrative around the Pac-12 is pretty darn high versus usually they're always trying to get into that conversation with the SEC and the Big Ten, and, and they're never quite able to break through. But, um, you know, they're off to a good start. And Oregon's a very well-coached football team, so is Ohio State. But, you know, I watched that game, and there were just some decisions made that I was like, okay, I, I'm not sure if we would have seen this you know, from previous Ducks teams, like they had a poise and the coaching staff had a presence that was pretty impressive. Yeah. And I mean, with Cristobal and the Ducks, you can see the recruiting starting to take effect. I mean, in the past, we've had the smaller offensive line or defensive line and they handled their own against a big, you know, Ohio State front line. So I think you're seeing that difference, too, as we're recruiting bigger players and more, you know, SEC type players to compete with these big schools. Well, and I can't remember their running back's name, but he scored a few touchdowns. He went to Modern Day. Modern Day, I mean, I, I went to Loyola Marymount. So I know about Modern Day because I went to school with a lot of uh, kids from Modern Day. And Modern Day is a football power. I think they're ranked number one in the country right now, uh, high school-wise. So when you're Oregon and you can go into Southern California and recruit 
kids out of those types of schools, not only are you taking them away from UCLA and USC, but they're tremendous nationally ranked players. And you're starting to see, like you said, Cristobal is getting those types of players. He's a great recruiter. So it's just interesting to to watch all of this. And it's interesting to watch. Like, again, I feel like this is a real football season. I didn't really feel like last year was a, a real college football season. I thought they just threw it together for money purposes, to be honest with you. And it wasn't a true measure of how good those teams were. It was like, okay, who can make it through the season without having a COVID outbreak? And then whoever does that is, is going to be pretty good. As it turns out, it was Alabama and they probably win in most every year anyways. But, um, you know, it, it's been an interesting start. Grig, speaking of Alabama, wasn't it interesting to watch the NFL yesterday? You've got Mac Jones starting for the Patriots. You've got Tua starting for the Dolphins. They kind of had a, a little battle uh, you've got Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman Trophy, who scored a touchdown for the Eagles. It seemed like there were Alabama players all over the NFL yesterday. Well, it's crazy. I mean, Alabama is continues to be a powerhouse, and their quarterbacks are phenomenal. They play well in the NFL, as we saw yesterday and, and other years before. But then look at the freshman, Bryce, I think Bryce Young, or whatever his name is for Alabama now. He goes in and throws you know 400 yards every game. I mean, it's like they don't miss a beat. The freshman comes in, and they're already a star. Speaking of uh, missing a beat, Steve Sarkeesian, welcome to the SEC now. I know you're still in the Big 12, but Texas goes to Arkansas. I was just thinking, some people are just really good coordinators or assistant coaches. And Sark, you know, he had success at Washington, but, you know, that Texas job, do you take that job or did he know that Texas was going to ultimately move to the SEC? I mean, I know that you're probably not turning that job down under any circumstances, and I know he wanted to get back to head coaching. But boy, I'll tell you what, (laughs) playing in the SEC is a lot different than playing in the Big 12. And when I would say a middle team, middle tier team like Arkansas can beat you like they did, you've got to, if you're Sark, you've got to be going, oh my God, like this this is, my work is cut out for me going forward at University of Texas. And again, that's the type of place that if you don't win right away, you're not going to be there very long. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen that with past coaches. They just don't last long. In those big universities, if you don't win, you're expected to win, and they don't give you much time. And like you said, Sark is a great football mind. He's a great coach, but you're right. He's got his work cut out because uh, that was kind of a slap in the mouth. So here we go. We'll see how he can adjust and move forward and uh, and get his team back on. Well, and my point is, it's a lot easier to be a coordinator than it is to be a head coach because when you're the head coach, mm-hmm. you're the one in the hot seat. So, you know, Nick Saban deflected any criticism towards Alabama football, not that there's much because they're always winning, but you know, Sark was able to really do a great job and, and not feel any heat. Now he's the head coach at Texas. So he's going to really feel the heat. They're going to move into the sec and there's not a weak team in the sec. So every single week you've got to bring it. And if you don't, then you know, you're going to have what happened against Arkansas happen again. Uh, Greg, some other things I have been paying attention to. So, you know, we've talked in this show before about Tom Brady. A few years ago, he got on social media and he's very active on Twitter. He's very active on Instagram. He did that Facebook Live uh, series a couple of years ago um, about, you know, basically beating Father Time. He's doing more and more endorsements. And two that I saw him all over the place with this weekend one, he's doing Subway commercials. And boy, Subway must be paying an absolute fortune to Tom Brady. Steph Curry, 
Serena Williams. I mean, they've got, those are some of the biggest names in, in sports marketing. And to go out and get those, those are goats. And you're, you're probably paying them a ton of money. I doubt you're giving them equity. Um, they are getting equity, Steph Curry and Tom Brady on their deals with FTX, the cryptocurrency money company. So it's been interesting to see, like, even with that, uh, Steph Curry was like, well, on Twitter, like, what do I need to know about cryptocurrency? And then Tom Brady responds to him and you're kind of like, okay, these are two great players. They're going back and forth. And then you learn 24 hours later, oh, okay, they're both FTX cryptocurrency endorsers. Now, Giselle is also part of that FTX cryptocurrency uh, partnership. So I'm just interested when you see players like Phil Mickelson, who's gotten onto social media and has become very active, Tom Brady, Steph Curry. These are athletes who are in Serena. They're in the twilight of their career. And as we've talked with Sue Bird and we've talked with Candace Parker and other athletes, when you start getting to that twilight, you start thinking about the post career and the business partnerships and the being a spokesperson and also taking equity in some of these companies like Curry and Giselle and Brady have with FTX. It's just an interesting landscape to watch. Yeah, I mean, and love him or you know hate him, Tom Brady. Those Subway commercials are hilarious, and I love how Subway <laughs> kind of rips on themselves too. Like the Curry's like, "You're not going to eat the bread anyways," and it's just they're doing really well with them. The Cologne one is hilarious with Brady being all sexy. Um, yeah, I think uh, these two, especially Curry and Brady, have a great future in just being endorsements because they're so big, people are going to pay them, and Subway's budget must be in the billions. I mean, they got Charles Barkley doing the voiceover too. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, they've they've come a long way from some of the endorsers that they had in the past who are no names, who they made into names. I think they've obviously gone now with the approach of we're going to go out and get the biggest names and partner with them. Subway has. And yeah, they're, they're a huge brand, so I'm sure they can afford it. It is interesting because I, I still, it goes back to like when Tiger Woods had a deal with Buick. I never could wrap my mind around Tiger Woods driving a Buick. Maybe he's driving it as a courtesy car on the weekends, but I just didn't picture him like, okay, Tiger Woods is driving around Orlando in a Buick. I don't picture Tom Brady or Serena or Steph Curry walking into Subway with their family going, hey, what do we want on our sandwiches today? So part of it is the believability factor. Um, and I'm just not quite there yet with believing that the three of them are going to sit around and eat Subway sandwiches with their families or together, or, you know, after practice or anything like that. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. But I think on the cryptocurrency side, obviously that is a growing thing. It's new to a lot of people and, and fresh in the market. But I think that's, you're seeing companies starting to, you know, accept Bitcoin and all this stuff. So I think that one is interesting to watch because that side of the money world is going to continue to grow and become more real as cash disappears. So um, I think we'll learn more about that one a lot more in the future. Well, I agree. And I think if you're one of these companies, like if you look at FTX, and I hate to turn this into an infomercial for them, but you know they've gone out and signed, uh, they have the naming rights on the Miami Heat arena. They've gone out and signed Steph Curry and Tom Brady and Giselle. Like they're doing some big things. And part of this isn't just, hey, use our cryptocurrency. It's educating the public on what cryptocurrency is because it's a different form of currency. And there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, I don't understand it. So these are 
athletes and spokespeople like Giselle who have huge audiences, especially on social media. So you can use them to quickly educate everyone around what your cryptocurrency is. And, and the other thing is there's so many of them out there now that if you go out and you get Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Giselle, you're going to break through the clutter. Like you're going to separate yourself from the cryptocurrency pack and quickly, you know, kind of become the cryptocurrency of choice. So I think, you know, it's not difficult to understand why Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Giselle, others are getting into that cryptocurrency space. Mark Cuban has done it as well. And you're kind of buying low, right? Like you're getting equity in these companies that could turn into multi, multi-billion dollar companies. And when it's all said and done, Steph Curry and Tom Brady may look back 20 years from now and say, I made more money because of my partnership with FTX than I did in my entire playing career. And these are guys that make a lot of money. So um, you're buying low and you're, it's like Andre Iguodala. We've talked about that on this show. A few years ago, I'm at the Bloomberg Tech Summit and he's talking about a company called Zoom and how he's one of the founding investors of this company. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And you know, there's FaceTime and there's all these other things out there. Well, who knew there was going to be a pandemic and Zoom is like an adjective now. Hey, I've got a Zoom this afternoon. I've got a Zoom tomorrow morning. I've got a Zoom with this person I'm interviewing. It's it's like a household name now and it's being used all the time. So because Andre Iguodala was a founding investor in this company, he's, you know, when it's all said and done, he might make more money from his Zoom investment than he will in his entire playing career. And he's played a long career in the NBA. So you know, equity is the way a lot of these athletes are going. You heard Sue Bird talk about that a couple of weeks ago, that if you can get equity in a company and it looks like it's a pretty safe bet, that's the way to go. There's far more upside with that than there is with, hey, you know, we're going to pay a million dollars a year to do a, a 30 second spot for Subway Griggs. Yeah. And I think, like you mentioned, getting in early, these guys that are investing, you know, years before these companies are really anything is key because they're getting in low and then, wow, Zoom is this now. And wow, you know, FTX is this in five years and uh, it can be incredible. And we've talked about, you know, many times with guests on the show, you know, we ask them, what do you look at when you invest in a company? And a lot of these companies that they're investing in, we don't, you don't know the names of them. You haven't heard of them yet, but it's the relationships they start. It's the confidence in where this place is going. And, uh, and then while they grow and these guys make millions and billions sometimes, and uh, you know, you're right too, the endorsement money, a lot of times is going to pay these guys way more than their whole career. And it's probably a little easier. You're not going to get hurt doing a subway commercial, most likely. So, you know, you got that benefit too. The other thing that's changed, and I invite our listeners to go back and listen to my conversation with former Nike exec Mike Hackman late last year, the shoe companies are not paying what they used to, and they're not doing sports marketing deals like they used to. So it used to be, all right, you turn pro and you're getting a shoe deal with someone, right? They're paying you either a lot of money like LeBron James and Tiger Woods and Tom Brady and Steph Curry to wear their shoe, or they're at least giving you a little bit of money to wear the product when you're running up and down the NBA or WNBA floor for, you know, the season. Now what's happened is that shoe money is really dried up and only the elite of the elite are getting the shoe money. So if you're an athlete and you're coming out of college or even you're someone uh, who's pretty noteworthy that money is either not what it once was or it's not there at all. And you've got to look at creative deals like 
equity type of deals because you don't have that shoe money that used to be like, if you've seen the movie, Jerry Maguire, you know, uh, they talk about the shoe money and it's one of the staples of the athlete when they're turning pro is get me my shoe money. And it's just not there anymore for everyone. So in light of that, if you're a decent athlete and you want to make some marketing money, you're looking at these equity deals or you're looking at, you know, all right, this is a startup and maybe it's not a multi-billion dollar cryptocurrency company, but it's a media company or it's a apparel company. Okay. I'll take my payment in equity. Maybe I'll take a little bit of a guarantee or a bonus. So I have something to walk away with if the equity turns into nothing one day. But those are the types of deals that are becoming more common. I mean, I remember we started this show in 2004, Griggs. There was no equity deals taking place. No one was getting equity. It was all, all right, I'm doing a commercial for Nike. I'm doing a commercial for Subway. I'm doing a commercial for Adidas. There was no, hey, you get to have a stake in this company that you're using your name, image, and likeness to build. And now that's become a lot more common. And you know, even Mark Messier was on earlier this year with us, former NHL great. And, you know, he is invested in a water company. And instead of them saying, hey, here's just cash to be our spokesperson in the face of our brand, he also gets equity in that deal. Those are the types of deals that these athletes and quite frankly, their agencies like the Wassermans, the IMGs, the Octagons of the world, that's what they're looking for for their athletes that they represent. Yeah, it's longevity. I mean, you've got future there. Uh, you know, like you were saying with shoes 10 years ago, it's the instant you get the shoe deal, you get the money and you get a commercial. Now it's, you know, these companies you're investing in. And like you said, equity that's 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it's planning ahead for Tom Brady's family. You know, his kids are going to be fine now because I mean, they'd be fine anyways, but because of these future investments of these smaller companies that start small, but these athletes have so many good agents and people searching these companies out. They're not doing these things, you know, on a whim. They have the background of these companies, they see the future and the details. And uh, you're right, it's, it's more about the investment of the future for these companies and these athletes. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. As some of you may know, in addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the founder of the Sports PR Summit. We've been building something very special there since when we launched in 2013. Noteworthy people such as Adam Silver, David Stern, Jamel Hill, Grant Hill, Tom Rinaldi, Lisa Leslie, Michael Vick, Jeremy Schapp, and Stephen Ross are just a few of the names who have joined us on stage to provide unique insight. We recently introduced the Sports PR Summit Collective. It's a way for everyone to stay in touch 24-7, 365. The Collective is the next evolution for our community of PR practitioners, media, and athletes. You'll find a counterpart day and night to ask and answer questions, share your inspiration, connect with colleagues, and celebrate victories. The technology that powers the Sports PR Summit Collective allows us to bring more valuable resources to our members and the industry. These include a members-only job board, a mentorship program, industry awards, courses in skill building, networking opportunities, and mastermind groups. You'll also still have the opportunity to attend our annual Sports PR Summit event in New York City, in person or virtually. And for the first time, we're also allowing access to students and entry-level communications executives. If you're a PR practitioner or a member of the media or an athlete, this is the community for you. 
Visit sportsprsummit.com for more information and to join the Sports PR Summit Collective. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, the other thing I paid attention to this past weekend, Griggs, the Basketball Hall of Fame ceremonies. Um, And I paid special attention because the first NBA coach that I ever worked for, Rick Adelman. So I was with the Blazers. He was the head coach of the Blazers. Jeff Petrie was the GM at the time. The Blazers went to the NBA Finals in 1990. They lost to Detroit. 1992, they lost to the Bulls. But those were pretty special teams. And Rick Adelman was the coach of that team. He went on to coach for the Sacramento Kings and have great success there with Vlade Divac and Chris Webber and Mike Bibby. And, you know, Sacramento was, uh, gosh, a few seconds away from beating the Lakers and, and getting into the NBA finals, if not for some Robert Ory magic from the Lakers. But Rick Adelman, I've always felt like is one of the most underrated coaches in NBA history. He's got a ton of wins. He went to organizations that, you know, had struggled before, And he turned them into powers. And then he was really good at relating with what I would call the the difficult players. So I remember Rod Strickland came to the Blazers. He had had a little bit of a choppy career thus far, even though he's immensely talented and he comes and plays for the Blazers and boom, you know, Rick Adelman has him playing at the height of his potential. And then Chris Weber gets traded to the Sacramento Kings. and, And it was kind of a afterthought kind of deal, but as it turned out, Rick Adelman was able to get the best out of Chris Weber and those Sacramento Kings teams, like I just said, were perennial powers every year for probably a five or six year span. So it was really nice to see Rick Adelman honored and get into the Hall of Fame. Um, Chris Weber and Chris Bosch were also inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I thought Chris Bosch's speech was one of the best speeches I've heard from a Hall of Fame uh, inductee for the NBA in a long, long time. Um, You know, his career was cut short by heart problems and it didn't end the way he wanted it to. But I thought it was really cool. If if you get online or on social media, one of the things he talked about in his speech was, you know, overcoming difficulties and, you know, having to accept things even when they're not on your own terms. But I guess when Pat Riley was recruiting him to play for the heat, he takes out like a, you know, a velvet bag and it's got all of his championship rings in it. And he gives Chris Bosch his 2006 Miami heat championship ring. And he says, I'm giving this to you. When we win a ring together, I will give you this ring back. Well, the heat did win a couple of championships together, Pat Riley and Chris Bosch. And but Bosch had still kept this 2006 Pat Riley championship ring. Well, at the Hall of Fame induction, as Pat Riley is sitting on stage um, with Chris Bosch, he gave him that ring back. And I thought that was a really cool time to give him the ring back. And it was just a really neat moment. And it was kind of like, okay, mission accomplished. And look, those two, they butted heads because Chris Bosch, he, he didn't want to retire. But Pat Riley was like, I'm not having you die on my watch, essentially. I'm not clearing you to play. So I thought that kind of brought everything full circle from the time Riley recruited Chris Bosch to play for the Heat to, you know, they had that difficult ending where Bosch wanted to continue to play, but the Heat wouldn't clear him to play. And now you've got Bosch giving Riley the championship ring back saying, hey, we want a few of these like we set out to do. And here I am in the Hall of Fame and, you know, everything wrapped up nicely or so it seemed. And I also thought it was great 
that LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Ray Allen were there to honor Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh, I think, is another underrated player, especially when he went to the Heat. He did a lot of the dirty work. If you go back to that game six and the Ray Allen shot that everyone talks about against the Spurs, if Chris Bosh doesn't get that offensive rebound and immediately kick it out to Ray Allen, they lose that game. And, you know, the, the course of history for the Heat is very different. So he's a guy that accepted his role, did a lot of dirty work, and I thought it was great that those guys who got more accolades, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, were there to honor Chris Bosh. Pat Riley was there. I just thought it was a really cool moment. I don't know if you watched the Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah, I watched a little bit after the fact, but I love the Hall of Fame stuff because you get those those kind of stories, you know, like the Pat Riley and Bosh, and you get the behind the scenes of how this whole thing worked. And then full circle, like you said, here they are in the Hall of Fame and giving the ring back and stuff. I thought it was awesome. And back to Rick Adelman. I mean, I was a teenager when... He was coaching the Blazers, and like you said, he brought a team that really was nothing since you know Bill Walton era, and turns around, gets him into two NBA Finals, and I uh, always loved that guy. He he was so good at, and so mild mannered, and just really controlled the team in a good way, and made a positive uh, focus for the Portland Trailblazers. So yeah, Hall of Fame speeches and that, those ceremonies are always so cool, and these guys are so well deserved. And uh, yeah, Bosch, like you said, that Ray Allen, you're right, he doesn't get, you don't even hear about him getting that rebound, but that's the key to that whole game. I mean. Uh, Bosch was a baller and just didn't get the recognition. He didn't go out and score 40 points a night, but man, he was a baller. I love watching his game. And if he had stayed in Toronto, he could have scored 40 points a night. Like he was their guy. He was the face of the Toronto Raptors when he was there. And, you know, he decided, I, I want to win championships with LeBron and, and with D Wade. And they did, but he was always kind of the lost, underrated piece in that puzzle. So nice to see him honored. Speaking of induction speeches, I watched Derek Jeter. His was also excellent, but I love he starts off and he basically says, you know, thank you to all the voters, except one who voted me unanimously into the whole. So, you know, it's just funny. Like you see like Michael Jordan speech and you see Derek Jeter, like they're still, they have, you know, memories like elephants. They, they remember everything and they remember who screws them. And, you know, in this case, like Jeter's, he got every unanimous vote except for one. And he calls that one vote out during his hall of fame speech. And I just thought it was funny. The crowd got a laugh out of it too. And, uh, you know, it was good stuff. And it was great to see Michael Jordan on hand. CC Sabathia, our friend was there. Um, Pat Ewing was there. Like, you know, Jeter's one of those guys that transcends sports. He has been part of the Jordan brand from early in his career. So Jordan and Jeter have been close for a long time and they've always supported each other. But I just thought it was cool. And the other thing, I'll say this, I really thought about this. Uh, you know, I grew up and, and the player who was the the icon of my childhood and, and still today an icon is Michael Jordan. And when Jordan played, he you know has that great smile. He was good with interviews, all that stuff. But he was really reluctant to show you his private side. And I feel like, unfortunately, starting with the passing of Kobe Bryant, when Jordan spoke at Kobe's memorial after Kobe's wife, Vanessa, asked him to speak, and he was so poignant and he got choked up. And I was like, there's the human side of Michael Jordan. When I see him doing these things now, he was at the Hall of Fame this past weekend to support his former teammate, Tony Kukoc. He was up on stage with him. He was at Derek Jeter's ceremony. I love the fact that Michael Jordan isn't just, you know, hiding at his golf course. Like he's getting out there to support other people and he's still the goat and everyone knows he's the goat, 
but he's out there kind of like, all right, I'm a human being. And, and I wonder, like if I had Michael Jordan on the show, one of the questions I would ask him is, did Kobe's passing change you to be there for others more and open you up a little bit more to show your human side? Because I haven't seen that side of him more so than I have in the last year. And I'm really liking seeing it. I agree. I love the human side of all these athletes. And I think one good thing about social media that we see nowadays is you get to see that more. You get to see, you know, the family posts are on vacation. They're doing this, that they're, you know, quote, real people that a lot of times when you just see them on the court and in these interviews, you don't really get to know them. And I think the behind the scenes side of the social media and these people posting and being interactive with fans is huge because you get to know these athletes more. And I think that's a great question if you could ask Michael, because I believe that probably he would say, yes, it has softened him up. It has you know, made him realize that life is important and it's important to support people and be out there and see and show people the other side of him. So I think uh, I've seen that, like you've mentioned, I've seen Jordan more out and about and more involved. And, uh, you know, maybe that is because of Kobe, but yeah, it's good to see. And back to Jeter's speech too. I love these guys, even though they're not playing, they're always competitive. And even in their speeches, they're competitive. I love it. It's great. Well, and Jeter looks great. Like I saw Jeter and I was like, he could get back on the field. I mean, he, he looks like, you know, sometimes... These guys retire and they they put on their retirement weight a little bit. Jeter looked great. I mean, he, he looked like he could have suited up for the Yankees tomorrow. So um, I hadn't seen him out in the public eye in a while. So it was uh, it was neat to see him back out there and he looked great and his family looks great. And, you know, he's married and has kids now. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, that's neat is when you see kind of that that graduation to fatherhood. If you haven't listened to the Kirk Herbstreet interview from a few weeks ago, we talk about fatherhood a lot. And, um, you know, it, it's good to watch. All right, Greg, speaking of good to watch, we'll end on this. I don't know that I've looked forward to a broadcasting thing more so in a long time than I'm looking forward to the Peyton and Eli Manning broadcast on Monday Night Football. Uh, you know, there's the main broadcast of the game, but then there's this alternate broadcast where Peyton Manning and Eli Manning are basically, you know, I think the the first one's in New York that they'll do together, but then Peyton's going to be in Colorado in his home. Eli is going to be in New York in his home, and they're going to get together for 10 Monday night football games, and they're just going to talk shop, and they'll bring people like Charles Barkley on, but... Talk about two of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play the position. Not only can they talk about the offense and audibling and changing plays, but they also know how to read a defense. And the insight that they're going to provide, like everyone talks about, oh, Tony Romo does a great job, which he does. Um, Chris Collinsworth does a great job. They have that former player insight. But not too many people have been more intelligent as athletes than Peyton and Eli Manning. So, to hear them. And, and they're also both very funny. Like, I don't think they're going to sit there and like get super, super technical, but they're, they're funny too. So I'm just really looking forward to, I can tell you this, no offense against the main broadcast for ESPN for Monday night football. They do a great job. I will be watching the Peyton and Eli Manning broadcast of Monday night football exclusively, just because I can't wait to see their interaction the fun they have, the guests they bring on, and the insight and knowledge that they provide to the viewer. Well, not only they're both brilliant, but they're brothers too. They've got stories. I mean, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff because they've grown up together too, and they've played the NFL, and they're Hall of Fame players. And 
I mean, the list goes on forever. And I think Peyton especially is just absolutely comical. I mean, he is hilarious. I, anything he's on, I'm watching. So, of course, I'm going to be watching this broadcast as well. I think it's brilliant by the NFL and ESPN. I think it's going to help get more viewers. Um, yeah, it's as soon as they signed this whole deal up, I'm like, okay, that's what I'm watching every Monday night. So I'm looking forward to it too. They've thrown a lot of money at Peyton Manning offering, hey, do you want to be part of the Monday Night Football broadcast? And no, no, no. All right. What can we do to get this guy on board? Well, let's let him do it from his home remotely with his brother and do it. You know, there's not going to be like a moderator. It's not like, you know, oh, Brian Berger is sitting in the middle of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. And I'm the one kind of driving the conversation for the two of them, like Ernie Johnson does on the NBA on TNT. They're just going to be sitting there together. It's, it's literally like they're sitting in their living room watching the game together and we get to eavesdrop on that conversation. So I think ESPN did a nice job of making it easy and convenient. They don't have to get on planes and travel. They don't have to go sit in on meetings with coaches and players. And, you know, the interviews I've heard with the Manning brothers, they've said like, we're not going to be talking to the players and coaches during the week. So like if you're Tony Romo or you're Troy Aikman or someone like that, you're coming in early for the game that you're covering and you're meeting with the coach, you're meeting with the players, you're getting that insight. You might watch a practice. Well, the Manning brothers aren't going to be doing that, but they probably will, you know, talk to some players and get some stories and stuff. But the time commitment to this isn't going to be what it would be if they were like, all right, you're a game analyst for Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football, or just a, a Sunday afternoon game. And that's what they want at this point in their life. They didn't want anything to uh, heavy with the time commitment, but ESPN also gets like, I, I, I gotta tell you this. I will be very interested to see the ratings on this. I don't know how many people get ESPN two. Maybe it's not that many. And maybe ESPN has a lot more homes than ESPN two, but all things being equal. I think a lot of people are going to prefer this Manning broadcast over the main broadcast. And again, it's no slight to the people who are doing the main broadcast, I just think when you have a chance to listen to this kind of insight and humor and intelligence from the Manning brothers, there's going to be a lot of people tuning into that. Yeah, I'm very, like you said, very interested to see the ratings as the season goes on because, uh, yeah, and we talked about that being being in the homes of these guys, you know, being like, hey, they're just guys watching the game, sitting on the couch. That's the vibe that I think fans love to see where it's not some professional, I'm in a suit, you know, and I'm, you know, we've got people telling me what to say. These guys are just going to be off the cuff and doing their thing. So yeah, it's, it's going to be must-watch TV, and I'm sure the ratings should show that. All right, one more reminder. Go back into the Sports Business Radio vault. You can find us, sportsbusinessradio.com. 17 years worth of conversations, recent conversations with Bob Costas, Sue Bird, Kirk Herbstreet, Stephanie McMahon. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. But we really love when you rate and review our podcast. So if you would take just a few seconds to do that. And like I said, if... You work in the industry, add us to your subscribe list. If you are a teacher, if you're a student, add us to your subscribe list. We really, really appreciate it. All right, Griggs, have a good week and, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, this has been fun. And uh, yeah, I love just cutting it up and having a good time conversation about all the stuff going on. Every once in a while, I think our audience has told us they want to hear from us. They love the interviews and they love hearing the insight from our great guests. But every once in a while... <laughs> They've told us they want to hear from us. So here you go. Fall sports. Uh, we're looking forward to it. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. 
We've collaborated with our friends at Parish Project to create high-quality sports business radio clothing, including hoodies, long-sleeve t-shirts, and short-sleeve t-shirts. Each item comes in five different colors and a variety of sizes. These items are super comfortable, and you can wear them on Zoom calls, while working out, or when you're lounging around the house. Sports Business Radio has loyal listeners around the world. We'd love for you to post a picture rocking your Sports Business Radio gear. Tag us on Instagram or Twitter if you post. Get your official Sports Business Radio gear by going online to parishproject.com. That's parishproject.com. P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.